This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Andy Moore, who is the Chief Data Officer for Bentley Motors. So, Andy, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, thank you for uh, having me. Great. No, no. Uh, looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, so, looking forward to it, and the, the pleasure is uh, is ours, Andy. So, where we always start is by asking our guests to give themselves a brief intro into their background, and I guess journey up until this point in time uh, if you'd be so kind right so my uh my first degree was in acoustics engineering um 20 odd years ago now uh try not to think about how long ago it was um but had a heavy mass uh, content at the time um and led me into uh into the automotive industry which i've spent all my career uh, and started off as an mvh engineer which is noise and vibration uh and is concerned with making the car as quiet as possible um and also uh having the right sound when it comes to the exhaust note uh and the sportiness concerned with it so spent uh, my early career gathering a lot of data noise and vibration data uh processing that and presenting it for decision making so maybe not the obvious start to a, a career in uh, data but but a good grounding um i then moved into project management roles uh and then operational roles before then starting uh, to set up the digitization department at Bentley Motors about five years ago, because we recognized that the industry was changing uh, and was being disrupted. So the digitization department was uh, an opportunity to almost internally disrupt ourselves and inspire and accelerate the use of digital technologies. Uh, Part of that responsibility included uh, looking at uh, data within Bentley, how we use data, uh, how to get a better use of data and be more efficient at processing data. And that led me to uh, propose a strategy for a data office and, yeah, led me to where I am today. Nice, nice. Well, yeah, like you said, uh, probably a slightly different 
journey to <laughs> to many of the guests that that we have on the show, but um, an interesting one nonetheless. Now, obviously, Bentley as a brand is known worldwide, so I don't think that needs too much introduction necessarily. But I guess for anyone that maybe isn't so familiar, just give us a very high level overview of you know who Bentley are, what they do, etc. So Bentley Motors is headquartered in Crewe in Cheshire in the UK. Uh, we employ around four, four and a half thousand people uh, on one campus on on the site at Crew, but also have regional offices globally because we we sell roughly fifteen thousand cars a year into all markets. We're roughly a third into the the China and Asia regions, a third into the Americas, uh, and a third into Europe. So very uh, strong lo- global base, which is great. Um, into a lot of markets. We obviously operate at the um, high luxury segment. Um, most of our cars retail for £200,000 and upwards um, through to the the more exclusive uh, limited run cars at, at £2 million or so. Mm-hmm. So definitely um, catering to an exclusive market, uh, but also lots of opportunity as the size of the business to, to, uh, to experiment with new technology and to, uh, yeah, to, to try new things as well, uh, to react to, to changes in the market. Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. Um, and always very envious when I see people driving around in them, to be honest with you. Um, so I, I need to come to crew and just sit in one and take a picture <laughs> and then that'll be that'll be me done. Um so I guess you, you mentioned there, Andy, that you proposed the idea for a, a data office having come out of that whole digitization uh program that you you led. I guess with it you being the one that proposed that i guess what was the purpose behind that and i guess what have you then tasked yourself almost inadvertently i guess to to achieve mm-hmm. through that so the advantage i do have is i know the business pretty well having been here for for 20 plus years um and having worked in a number of different areas uh, of the business and helped launch a, a number of models so knowing a lot of the pain points um when i started to look at uh, bringing self-service analytics in to move us out of Excel and into a more modern uh, data visualization tool. Um, the, the, the initial uh, ambition was to, to drive efficiency rather than uh, this, this mini network of people creating uh, standalone uh, graphs, them getting collated into big packs, and then ultimately these 200-page PDFs being circulated across the business. Um, that's not particularly efficient, doesn't help uh, speed of decision-making, um, and yeah, takes up a lot of time that could otherwise be be spent uh, actually doing something with the data. Uh, so the initial ambition was to to start getting people out of Excel more into the the data uh, visualization tools that would allow people to then drill into and self service uh, within that data. That journey started well, but of course it uncovered uh, more challenges of where do we get the data from? Then how do we govern the data? Where are the data sources? Um, we are part of the wider Volkswagen group. So some of our data sources are not owned by us. They're part of the Volkswagen group. Some of our, a lot of our data is from legacy data sources, a lot of it from different on-prem databases. Uh, so the strategy was built around, uh, first of all, the governance. The first pillar is the governance to, to set up a data council and a data catalog so that we've got, uh, an understanding of what data we've got. The second pillar of the data strategy is around moving to a data cloud. So using best of breed uh, modern data analytics and uh, tools to uh, collate the data for, for post-processing, let's say, whether that's visualization or, or data science or data mining, et cetera. 
the third pillar that I believe is is very important, key part of the pillar is is the data dojo, which is our literacy program to upskill everyone in the business to remove data fear, um, but also to get a common language about data and start to get people thinking about data a different way. Uh, and the fourth pillar of the data strategy is then the enablement, the data office being that uh, that hub within the business that that uplifts the um, capability of the business, sets the, the guardrails, but also helps uh, spin up these new data products across the business. And, and then uh, as the skills lift up, then the business takes responsibility for running and maintaining them. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting. So I guess, obviously, as someone that has just recently embarked upon the building of this, you know, data analytics strategy, embarking upon this journey in a in a business that is, what, 100 plus years old, I think, from, from what yeah, I looked 104 at. 104 years old. 104 years old, right. So I guess, how did you land on those pillars then? Like, what are the considerations that go into, right, this is how we segment it, this is why we have that focus, etc.? Mm-hmm. So the, the the starting point, of course, is the corporate strategy. So Bentley has the Beyond 100 strategy, which is focused about moving to to a fully electric uh, vehicle lineup by the end of the decade. It's focused on great people working at Bentley. It's focused on great customers, and it's focused on sustainability, uh, both from an environmental point of view, but also a, a robust business. Obviously, uh, recently, there's been a couple of external events that have caused us all to reassess our business models to make sure that they're they're scalable and they can react to external events. So that was the starting point, if you like, at the top level. And then what's the gap analysis that will help us to get there? And how can data underpin those decisions? How can it drive efficiency? How can it guide us to getting the best customer experience possible, uh, helping in, uh, colleagues on uh, getting the most from their, their jobs and, and getting job satisfaction? So that underpinned it. And then uh, doing the external scan as well of where the industry is heading and, and talking to peers, understanding what, what is going to make that successful then. Um, it's not just about introducing the, the latest tools, because tools on their own without the processes and the and the people, the training to, to support that, we, we're not going to go very far. Uh, a data cloud is a significant investment on its own without them having the enablement to surface that and, and actually realize the value of it. So when my finance board member asks me why I'm spending so much money on the data cloud, I can respond with, with showing some of the benefits as well that the business is seeing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and very interesting. I guess keen to pick your brain. So actually, it's um, ironic because um, the episode that we released just this week was uh, Dan Kellett, who's the CDO at Capital One, who also happened to have uh, been in that organization for 23 years as well. So um, I guess fairly unique to have a perspective of someone that's been in a business and seen that journey and how it's evolved from a through the lens of data within an organization. Um, but what does that look like? at Bentley, in your opinion, in terms of, you know, you've served a multitude of roles, data mm-hmm. always seems to have played a part given the nature of the organization and what it does. But I guess, how would you describe that journey with data analytics? So there's a number of, well, both challenges and opportunities with we're starting from scratch almost, because as I say, data is a part of everyday um, uh, working life whether it's uh, project meetings reporting on status, whether it's budget meetings, whether it's tracking our, our customer metrics. So data does underpin a lot of the business processes and the business activities. 
which is a great starting point because we're measuring things already and we have data. The challenges and opportunities then are around driving efficiencies in that and drawing together multiple data sources. So you A, get a holistic view of the business, but also are able to make decisions based on multiple inputs rather than, uh, let's say you're just looking at some some manufacturing metrics. You can then uh, complement that with people metrics or quality metrics as well. So you get a much more rounded decision. So the the the, the building blocks, if you like, are, are there already. It's a case of orchestrating them together to to get better value, to get quicker speed of insights, to uh, yeah, to get more um, complete business decisions. Mm. Do you think the the use of data or the acceptance of usage of data has kind of evolved and grown? If you think about back to twenty plus years ago mm-hmm. when you started in your you know noise and vibration role, kind of using data, then I guess obviously mm-hmm. naturally the the whole industry has evolved, right? And it's now more enterprise-wide adopted, I, I guess. But um, has that be is that become an obvious thing in in Bentley internally, where it's you know the the acceptance that we're going to use data now just more freely, as opposed to pockets of excellence, maybe. So yeah, and if you look at the way things have evolved, anyway, when I first started my career, we could probably capture. Uh, four to eight channels of data at one point on the technology that was available. The technology then allowed us to capture hundreds of data points at the same time with the capability of processing and reporting on that data. Uh, And and that's just within the noise and vibration uh, aspect. That's true of every uh, area of the business. We can now capture and therefore measure a lot more data. So the thirst for that data has increased as well with the availability. So it's almost one thing driving another. People have always been curious and want to know how best to run their business and how best to make decisions. But we're now able to capture and, and measure a lot more than we ever have been in the past. So that then means you need more um, thorough uh, infrastructure to be able to support that uh, explosion of data points to, to actually filter through then. So just because we can measure it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to, because not every data point will lead to an informed decision. Some data points are not actually uh, going to impact a particular decision. So it's also having that uh, discipline in terms of what do we need to measure then? What is important? What's actually going to help drive a decision as opposed to it's it's interesting, but not necessarily going to help us. Yeah, yeah, it makes, makes sense. I guess, obviously, as uh, you know, you're on this journey at the minute of starting to build, I guess, in an official capacity, almost from a, a blank canvas, right? Um, mm-hmm. you, you're kind of in the process of, or you've set the strategy, you're in the process now of building to be able to execute that strategy, I guess. Talk to us about the relationship between those two things, right? The strategy and the building of the capability to, to execute. Um, and I guess, does, does the strategy f- fuel the people strategy does the does the people that you can get does that in any way shape what strategy you have just talk us through your thinking there so the strategy um was formed first and that forms the roadmap so what are we trying to achieve and and what are the priorities within trying to achieve that so that definitely has to come first because that lays out the roadmap as you say we're we're kind of building from scratch so it was always going to be a a two three year 
uh, plan just to 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 get momentum. The first year was very much about building building the basic blocks and and getting an, um, getting each pillar of the data strategy. Plus, of course, building the data team because the data team didn't exist a year ago. Uh, building that from scratch. So it does feel like spinning a lot of plates at once. It does feel like trying to move each pillar along uh, together because, of course, they all complement each other. There's no point rolling out the tools without rolling out the training. But as you're rolling out the training, you're identifying use cases and increasing the thirst for the tools to, to be able to solve the problems. So therefore, the, the, the tool introduction needs to keep up with the, the training to, to provide the enablement. And of course, we need the governance in place to make sure that we're not, uh, you know, out of control and, and adhering to, to GDPR and other PII considerations. So it, it's it, it all has to move together to a certain extent. We need to get the building blocks right in the first place. Um, but yeah, the data dojo, for example, I laid out a seven step uh, belt plan uh, from white belt through to black belt. Um, all belts have been uh, specified. People are dropping into some of the higher belts directly because of their prior experience. So again, all the belts kind of need picking, uh, kicking off in parallel to a certain extent to satisfy the, the demand across the business and, and the level of experience that people have. Mm. That's really interesting. So I know obviously you're uh, working with our friends over at the Data Literacy Academy on that. So uh, probably an opportune time to 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 jump in so uh, i guess first of all just out of curiosity where did the the belt seven belt step uh, come from <laughs> so um the the data the dojo methodology has come out of software development um and it, it came from looking for an answer to a pain point because when i first uh introduced the self-service analytics it was in the middle of lockdown so we didn't have a lot of choice but we all sat on five-day online courses uh, and found that the the learning wasn't particularly embedded at the end of that. Um, you kind of wake up the next week and go, oof, I, I can't really apply it. So I turned that on its head from a one-week um, full-time course into a six-week uh, part-time uh, offering where we did cover the, the same uh, amount of curriculum, but also included coaching, included masterclasses, included bring your own dashboard so that people can embed the learning over a longer period of time and then follow that up by hopefully going ahead and getting a qualification as well. So it was it was that need to to almost flip it on its head to offer something that embedded the learning in a in a more cohesive manner. Um and then the the day the, the dojo uh had had the seven belts which fit quite nicely because they can be tiered across the business. Um with the, the white belt obviously can touch a lot of people, whether they're shop floor or or anywhere in the business. Uh, that on the, that that basic uh, not being fearful of data, um, but then using data in their day jobs um, can can start to get embedded, and then we can build the communities at each level. We've then got a register of people at each level across the business. So if someone has a, a problem uh, to solve and they think someone uh, with a data background can help, then they know where to where to go, uh, who to start to talk to, and, and build that community. So it had that uh, method as well. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about apprentices in a bit more detail um, later on. But one option of uh, doing training at scale is using the apprentice levy. Uh, but again, my experience previously was to do that at scale, um, to put people through a 15 or 18 month program with an endpoint assessment at the end of it, if on top of a day job is, is quite a burden uh, when people are busy. 
So we tried it a couple of years ago. We got a high, relatively high dropout rate. Um, and although it's apprentice levy supported, it's still bent me money. Uh, and I felt there was a more effective way of delivering that, um, through the, through the relevant tiers to, to, to embed a program across the business. Mm, so yeah. yeah, that led to, yeah, putting a blueprint together of this is how I want to deliver the training and, and then, yeah, looking for someone that could help deliver that without having to spend a lot of money on building an entire bespoke internal um, set of resources, um, but also something that was flexible enough to meet my needs and and, and filter into the tiers. Yeah, yeah, that's something that's really interesting. I, I guess I presume that is available to anybody in the organization practically, right? Who who governs then where somebody drops in, like what belt they're moving to and from, etc. So we are coordinating that uh, centrally. There is a wider uh, upskilling program across the business to look at what skills we need as we move to our, our future as part of Beyond 100. So that again, that um, strategic piece uh, led by HR happened at roughly the same time as I was introducing the dojo. So I was quickly able to align. Uh, the business was feeding back to HR that data skills were really important, which was great because I didn't. Uh, the, the, the demand was already there. And then I'm able to say, great, I've got an offering. Let's let's go uh, now. Tell me the names of who you want to prioritize. And then each functional area will will start to prioritize according to the roles to say, how many people do we need at blue and brown belt to build the dashboards? How many people do we want to go through the, the lower belts to, to start to get an understanding? So it's working with partnership with each area of the business just to say, let me know how many people you want at each of the levels. And then we can we can start to feed that through the through the through the demand backlog, if you like, and start to filter into the the different levels and build the training out. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's super interesting. Yeah, um, so I guess you're building from a, a blank canvas, practically, right? Um, and obviously, the the team component of that. I know we've spoke offline many times about that journey for you. What what have been the challenges and opportunities then, Andy, in terms of building that team from that relative blank canvas? So firstly, starting with team structure and job descriptions, the, the job description of uh, data engineer, data scientist, senior data engineer didn't exist at Bentley 12 months ago. So that was the first point um, within the, the kind of the Bentley framework, if you like, of, of writing job descriptions to, to set the, the jobs and, and make sure the headcount secured. That was the first step. Then there were people uh, already within the business, within IT, that had data roles. They might not have had the direct job title, but they had data roles. So they were able to transfer across into my team. So three or four people have transferred across, which is great because they've got a lot of prior experience of the business. Um, so that's the first uh, way of, uh, that I've uh, filled the team. The second way uh, in digitization uh, one of the pillars was looking at future talent and looking at the future skills of the business. That's where I, I set up the future um, digital talent team uh, to leverage the the apprentice levy and the degree, particularly the degree apprenticeship, uh, to start people on that path to say, I know we're going to need data scientists in the future. How do we build our own talent and take people from well, pretty much from schools having completed A-levels put them through a degree part-time, but also give them that really rich business experience uh, working with different business areas to provide data solutions. So that's uh, that's really good. I've got people on first, second, third years 
of their degrees, um, the latest new starters uh, just uh, this week, um, starting their journey. Um, and also um, the first people have, have come through the end of their degree. They graduated in the summer, have now gone on to permanent roles in the team as well. So it's great that uh, people are starting and continuing their journey uh, within the data team. One or two actually started doing uh, software development, but then moved more into uh, either MuleSoft API development or, or into um, and and have come across into data roles as well. Then, so um, that's the second pillar uh, of building the team. And then the third pillar, of course, is external talent. Um, recruiting people that have uh, been part of data teams externally, um, different industries, uh, different backgrounds and, and levels of experience to bring that experience into Bentley and to help that shape our team as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of time spent this year uh, <laughs> recruiting, uh, working with our internal recruitment partner to yeah, find talent, um, attract them to what is a 104-year-old company that's probably focused more on on craftsmanship and, and heritage, um, but is increasingly um, digitally focused as well. So, um, yeah, the many conversations we've had about how do we pitch a company that you might not think of a data company, but actually is is now strongly looking at data as being core to that. Uh, and, and the attraction for people is being able to be a part of that journey, help set up pretty much a greenfield team um, bringing their experience into a new industry. Some people are uh, are car fans of cars, and, and that's attracted them. But most people are fans of data, passionate about data, and wanting to bring that experience and build something from scratch and have an impact uh, across the business. Are you ready to accelerate from data-aware to data-driven? Look no further than Dufresne, the data company that's changing the game for businesses like yours. With a global footprint and one of the largest teams of data professionals in the UK, we specialise in helping organisations make the best use of their data, allowing you to harness hidden insights and accelerate your customer experience, growth and run your business with informed decisions. We don't just help you govern and manage data, we help you become AI ready. We become your critical friend. We advise, we translate, we deliver, we execute. With over 100 enterprise clients over five years, join the list of forward-thinking data leaders who are making data a priority for their business. Visit Dufresne.co.uk today and talk to us about our insights across the data landscape. Dufresne, where data meets our data pioneers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you say, Andy, you know, we've had many conversations around the positioning of that. And I think, broadly speaking, any any journey that is a relatively greenfield and has a blank canvas is always interesting to to most people because you know they can help get in at, at the entry level of that journey and help shape it and grow it into whatever it becomes right mm -hmm. to then have the advantage of being able to do that in a, a global brand that most people will recognize and that also being a luxury brand is also uh, which will look good on a cv further down the line right i think there's a, a lot of advantages there out of interest the apprenticeship thing because i think this is a, <laughs> a topic that many data leaders probably want to do <laughs> it's very possible that most of them don't have the benefit that you have which is you've been in the business for 20 odd years you're a very known quantity very trusted i've probably got the time to 
build and shape this properly as it were unfortunately mm-hmm. many data leaders land and are expected to provide value six weeks down the line right so often that whole apprenticeship levy type scheme just doesn't fit for them was was that driven by anything in particular was it driven to challenges from a recruitment perspective was it driven by growing your own well what what was the what was the key factors for you to kind of go down that route out of interest yeah the challenges definitely were looking at future skills requirements knowing that we would need more data skills within the business knowing that that was the way the world was going and and the industry in particular was going knowing that we would always have the challenge of getting enough uh, talent at all the levels so we needed to develop our own talent as well and um, you're right in terms of lead time because effectively it was five years ago when i first uh pitched so within bentley we have a, an early careers team and we have something like a hundred uh early careers talent across the business every year but that's everything from from manufacturing through to engineering through to um degree graduates uh, and placement schemes so it was quite a broad scheme that that HR coordinate. So I said I wanted a particular cohort to focus on data. Uh, I wanted them in a central team together so that there was a lot of peer support. Um, that's relatively unusual within Bentley in that you probably place individuals in, in different areas of the business. So the different lens was I wanted a central cohort. I wanted the year-on-year growth so that uh, third years could support, second years could support first years um and yeah some have gone on to other roles in in other parts of the business um some of course have, have left the business and gone on to other careers uh but it, it does take time up front to set that up but maybe there's already a, a hr-led scheme that uh, data leaders can then tap into and, and follow the particular flow because yeah degree apprenticeship is what five or six years old as a levy funded um route and the degree apprenticeships, there's only a very small handful of data science degree apprenticeships that are delivered. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's it's pretty new in the marketplace anyway. Uh, but, yeah, it's tapping into that. Um, there are other ways of looking at apprentices that have been developed by third parties and are looking for graduate jobs as well. So there's a number of ways to tap into that, uh, that opportunity of um either young career professionals or people that are looking to change career as well we saw yeah. it in covid where we offered um level four apprenticeships for the people that were looking to reskill uh mm-hmm. so that's an opportunity as well yeah absolutely uh and i mean kudos to you andy because i think you know yeah you've probably seen me rant about this on linkedin many a time but you know <laughs> the amount of conversations i have where you know you speak to an organization and then it's a case of we needed them yesterday right mm-hmm. and it's um the the whole the whole kind of gambit of workforce planning and thinking about okay when we're going to need somebody how far away do we need to start taking action for that to come to fruition at the right time obviously it's a minefield right and it's very subjective and contextual to an organization but um most organizations find themselves um short of of that time frame uh, for various reasons so uh fair play for for kind of getting that off the ground and kind of letting that grow into you know your strategy um and I, and I think just on that as well one of the challenges that organizations have is career planning is done very much straight line so you you're traditionally within a small team look at okay who's likely to retire in the next few years and therefore how do we uh, replace those retirees or leavers 
So it tends to be, I've got job A today, I need job A in the future. What's particularly challenging to do is lift yourself up from that and say, um, we might not need that skill in the future. As we're doing more uh, digital prototyping, we might need less physical uh, skills. So we're going to have to have an entire new shift. Um, and as I say, data scientist as a job description didn't exist four years ago when I first started recruiting data scientists. So there's a little bit of leap of faith at organizational level uh, to get that buy-in to say, yeah, we know we're going to need those skills. Let's start. The career path will will open up for people as, as the organization matures in its uh, data journey, as well as uh, people mature in their skills as well. So yeah. I think we, we've now got this parallel path where people are are growing their own skills can see the business pain and then then some in some cases the the, the career path and the, the business maturity is moving in parallel yeah just give us a snapshot then of how it stands now and i guess how you expect it to look 12 18 24 months down the line in terms of the balance of that team in relation to experience because you mentioned you've mm-hmm. got some people that we're already working in similar roles and you've just swallowed them up. You've got you've gone mm-hmm. to market externally to get that and then you're using the apprenticeship levy. Kind of how does that balance kind of ratio wise? So the organization, although it's a flat organization because it's a small team, but in terms of seniority, there is a pyramid to it. So we've got the senior level, we've got um a kind of mid-level, and then the entry level, if you like, which is the the apprenticeships. So it's important for me to have that um pyramid so that people have got career progression opportunities in the future, um, but also that the pipeline is coming in. So we recruit year on year to fill that pipeline. What um, will also happen in parallel is the different functions within Bentley will be setting up their, will be expanding their capability as well. So they'll be recruiting data scientists in, in now and in the future. So it may well be that someone that that joins my team in a couple of years may well, uh, because they're working with a particular business area, move over to that business area in a full-time role. Um, and equally, people from elsewhere in the business might upskill themselves and come across to my team. So I think it's it's having not only the vertical tiers, so that's career progression, but also the horizontal tiers so that people can move across the business in what are, you know, from a skill set point of view, we can apply data skills anywhere in the business. Um, and then they can go and yeah apply their skills to a particular particular functional area. Yeah, yeah, makes makes sense. I guess as someone then that's kind of involved in the conversation, as it were, at bringing people into an organisation within the realms of data analytics at that entry level, um, mm-hmm. people still, you know, in university and just about to enter the the working world. What has been your experience, and I guess you know what, what's what's the view from an organisational perspective in regards to trying to get young talent to work in in data? You know, because obviously mm-hmm. the demand is going to continue to rise, right? I think the next ten years we're on a growth trajectory like that, where has mm-hmm. every organisation looks to be doing something or doing more with data analytics, right? So I think it's imperative that. We're having these conversations to tackle that because obviously, as we're seeing right now, if you go to market for a senior data, anything, <laughs> there's more <laughs> demand than there is supply, right? So obviously, that's something that we can only really problem solve by getting more people in, right? It'll take some mm-hmm. time to flush through, but ultimately, that's what we've got to do. So keen to get your perspective as someone that's in the midst of that conversation. 
and having spent a lot of time in schools and at a regional level talking about future future career paths, that the challenge starts quite early in schools, really, because the school curriculum is quite fixed on on a maths and science pathway, but data doesn't necessarily figure into it. So providing that inspiration at an early age to say you could have a career in data, that let's face it, your parents and your uh, career advisors won't have had to, to set the signal that the pathway is available to you, first of all, to get some early interest. Um, obviously, maths is a great background to, to get started, but you don't have to necessarily have a background in maths uh, to be successful. But at least that starts you thinking of when you're making GCSE and A-level choices, what will steer me towards that pathway with with that end of a, you know, a career in data in mind? So it's setting that signal pretty early, really, to help spread the message uh, through schools and through various um, charity and, and government initiatives to, to say this career is available to you. It, it's it's going to suit some people really well. Uh, and it's really exciting how the the, the, the uh, industry is progressing. Um, and then, yeah, matching that pathway with degree apprenticeships still aren't uh, that widely known. People think of apprenticeships and think more of, um, uh, let's say, less technical um, apprenticeships uh, historically. The, the more technical apprenticeships, uh, digital-facing degree apprenticeships are new. Um, you know, one of the other uh, degree apprenticeships I was passionate about was UX design. So we established the UX design pathway through a university. We brought people in and, and set them on that path. Um, it, so, yeah, signaling that pathway and then we, um, spreading the message that actually a degree apprenticeship is a great opportunity for a, for a school leaver to not come out with a load of debt to have to pay tuition fees because they're covered by the business, but also getting that CV and experience in the workplace over the four years as well. It's a fantastic opportunity for the individuals. So while uh, it sounds like a no-brainer to me, um, it's not that widely uh, known. So yeah, I spend a lot of time in in building the networks and talking about that uh, to spread the word. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I mean, I couldn't couldn't agree more. And I think again, kudos to you, Andy, for getting out in the local communities and kind of raising awareness. So. Um, I mean, I, I do a lot of public speaking at universities to try and raise the profile mm -hmm. of data and analytics. And um, I think it's it's safe to say that we need to get into having those conversations at a much earlier age, because mm -hmm. as an example, and I've, I've, I've told this story countless times on this podcast, but, um, you know, I, I go into the uh, Manchester Met University, right? And um, I support their QSTEP program, which is a, a government-backed program that's run up and down the country, hosted at various... Uh, universities and educational institutions um, and basically it's uh, a kind of almost like a data and analytics bolt on to a social sciences faculty so these students will be studying sociology psychology criminology through the lens of data and analytics now for an industry that constantly complains about the lack of talent it then blows my mind when there's skills out there a very foundational level but these people have the skills to enter our industry yet we're not doing anything to raise awareness that they should join our industry right so i'll go and stand in that auditorium at manmet university and it's probably the most diverse group of people i've ever uh been in a room with which will i'm sure we'll speak about diversity in a second right which also two birds one stone comes to mind but mm -hmm. you know i'll go and speak to them about you know this this brand's up and down the country, all over the world, brands that you'll know, love, buy from, buy products from day in, day out that could use your skill set. 
and these people don't even know that it exists like they're looking at okay i might be able to go and do something with data in the police force with from a criminology lens you know and they, they mm -hmm. don't see outside of that because they just don't know so it's uh yeah we need to be doing more and i think it needs to be tackled earlier because often by the time they've gotten to university they may have made decisions which then don't lend themselves to being able to enter the industry at a later date right which is mm -hmm fascinating and and i think it is a national problem because there are some fantastic initiatives but scaling them and joining the dots um th there's still a gap there and mm -hmm. it is a national problem because while as you say there's only a finite resource out there it doesn't matter what industry we're in whether it's automotive or finance or whatever it is we're all poaching out of the same talent pool and um we can't most of us cannot compete with the with the fangs that are offering the the headline salaries uh most of us are, are offering more um yeah down to earth salaries that are sustainable um but uh but can offer great careers if we're all competing for the same pool we need to grow that pool people will mm -hmm. move around industries as well people are not going to people may well start in automotive but could easily transfer to other industries um as other industries have transferred into my team so yes yeah, some coordination at national level i still think is is a bit of a gap to uh to join the dots together and pull the initiatives together yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. um so let's talk about diversity quickly then because um i know that you're as a business and your data and analytics organization um diversity stats are very impressive um obviously it's a topic that gets a lot of press and, and very rightly so and again it's something else that we've still got a very long way to go on until we till we get that right but talk us through your i guess the overarching journey as far as building that team from a blank canvas you know with the whole diversity piece um in mind you know the why's the how's the drivers etc mm -hmm. so i think there's there's almost two lenses for this the first lens at a business point of view is diversity is important because a our customers are diverse we need to be uh, aligned and respond to our customers um, but also having that diversity of thought and diversity of background will help us innovate if we all have the same mindset i, I can't have 20 clones of me in my team it would be pretty boring we wouldn't do uh, we wouldn't be pushing the boundaries so i'm looking for that challenge and different experience um, age is one obvious one. Uh, school leavers have grown up with a smartphone in their hands and have a very different focus than uh, myself, who didn't have a smartphone because uh, they weren't invented when I was at school. <laughs> um, so, so straight away, there's some uh, mindset differences, and and you have to be able to talk to different people as well. You know, senior leaders by definition are are uh, have a lot of experience, and therefore also uh, are having to adapt to the new technology that's um younger people are are having by default but that range of background and experience whether whatever your school experience was whatever your personal home life experience was did you work in mcdonald's when you're at school did you you know anything like that is all useful background experience because you understand the really important soft skills of customer interaction working as a team communicating those skills are super important uh regardless of um your your profession um and of course as ai comes to the front as well when you're building and training models to avoid uh, bias building the bias into the models you of course need diverse teams to build the models 
um, so that they're already thinking of that. Uh, that it's built in then by default because you've got a diverse team influencing the data strategy, influencing the models that come out of it. So I think that's the first uh, lens and imperative of why diversity is so important. The second lens then from a recruiting perspective is uh, I was always looking for the best talent. It, it doesn't matter background, it doesn't matter gender, it doesn't matter ethnicity or anything else. I just need the best talent. But opening yourself up to where that talent could come from um, uh, enables those people to come in. So I have got 70% females in my team, not because I set out to have 70% females, but because they were the they were the strongest uh, people in there. And I think as I've built year on year, certainly the apprentice scheme, it helps not just having me on interview, but having a young female on the interview as well, because you kind of go, oh, okay, I'm going to feel comfortable in that environment when I join. So having started, I think that momentum then kind of builds behind it because you kind of, it's that feeling of belonging and feeling of worth and feeling uh, able to bring your full authentic self to work. If you can see others like you at work, you're going to be less um, conscious that you're the only one. You can see others, you can see it supported, you can see that you can you can share your authentic self at work and therefore you're going to be happier, you're going to be more effective, you're hopefully going to stay longer and contribute more as part of that. Mm, yeah, absolutely, Andy. I mean, I think uh, I feel like standing up and giving you a round of applause for that rallying speech. Um, obviously, you know, at Orbition, we we talk a lot about diversity and I think it's massively important. I think that there's so much to pick out in what you said, but a few things for me. I think the the diversity of thought piece is really interesting. And I think what I see a lot of is that people start to confuse or many organizations start to go down the track of confusing diversity with representation, right? So straight mm -hmm. away, they they think, all right, okay, we need a diverse team. It's probably a bit too white, middle-aged male. So we'll just go and hire some females, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And it's, okay, fine. But yeah, everything you said around diversity of thought is absolutely is absolutely spot on and then often they they because they go down that representation track and because they aren't representative often mm -hmm. at that point in time it's not just as easy as well we'll go and hire a female or a person of color or someone that's x years old right because mm -hmm. then that person looks at it and goes well why would i want to work there so it's almost like mm -hmm. the 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 businesses that are good at this they they're they're accelerating away at a pace that no one's going to keep up with them and the peak the businesses that are lagging are getting further and further behind and that kind of separation is getting bigger and bigger for those mm. two reasons you know representation and diversity of thought and the kind of confusion mm. around all of it which is fascinating um god we could we could talk on this and topic all day andy sorry go being on. serious about supporting the individuals as well it's one yeah. thing saying oh we've got a you know we've got a target of as we have 30% of females in, in senior leadership positions, that's great on its own and we can be data-driven in asking the questions. But of course, as you say, it's far more nuanced than that because we still, it's about removing barriers, it's about supporting people on their journey, it's about removing bias as opposed to just, um, yeah, pushing ticking a, a, box. a particular, yeah, ticking a box to go through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And, I, and um, I think people can pick that up very quickly as well at interview and, and uh, general messaging. People can feel when it, you're not serious about it. Uh, same with sustainability as well. People can feel when you, you're just ticking the box because it's good to be green. When you're serious about being sustainable, 
and being supportive of diverse communities, I think then, yeah, people pick up on it and people respond to it. Yeah, 100%. Um, couldn't agree more. Um, conscious of time, Andy. So um would like to finish on kind of getting your thoughts on, I guess, the role of the CDO. And I think you're quite uniquely placed to give um, a, a bit of an opinion on this, given you've not come from that traditional background you've held other roles within the business um etc cetera, etc cetera. so i guess um you know as a recovering chief digital officer <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i guess no doubt being exposed to you know all of the debates around what is the role of the cdo and what responsibilities should they have and how that transition and the role has evolved and so on and so forth you know events linkedin debates etc mm-hmm. etc i guess what do you think the role of the chief data officer is as it stands and i guess where do you see the future going for that role um i guess almost given that you know if you think about the Mm -hmm. chief digital officer that came had a big had a big uh, spike and then as kind of maybe reduced right Mm -hmm. yeah and certainly the chief digital officer we introduced one at bentley five or six years ago um and that role no longer exists um, not necessarily linked to creating a chief data officer in parallel, but I think we always view digitalization as a transitory uh, team because it's there to move the status quo, particularly for a legacy organization. So it always should, from a digitalization point of view, that just then becomes embedded in the organization. It's the new, the new normal, if you like. So I think that's where the digitalization versus data is is different. Um, Data, I think we are slightly confusing ourselves by, you know, the CDO, but then the C data and analytics, chief data and AI, they'll soon be chief data and GPT. Goodness knows what we'll invent <laughs> next week. So that doesn't help because we keep calling the, the job title something different. Um, you know, a chief finance officer has been a chief finance officer for a long time, as an example. Um, what is uh, evolving though is whilst no to senior data leaders are the same no two organizations are the same either and it's about getting the match right so i I think i'm in the sweet spot of experience of bentley um able to communicate across the business to talk about their business problems so i'm able to empathize and and set the uh set the strategy and get buy-in across the business um, so I don't need to be as much of a technical specialist because I'm building the team behind me to to deliver on the more technical side. Um, and I think for, for an organization that's transforming, it needs a transformational leader, right? It's about change management. It's about stakeholder engagement. It's about selling a vision. It's about getting buy-in and support and flight cover for the team to then deliver the value behind me almost. Um, whereas other organizations in different positions will need a much more technical focus leader, someone with a more technical experience because they're plowing more of a, a technical, um, they're, they're more pioneers on the technical side, whereas more legacy organizations need to almost catch up. And there is a big gap between, you know, if you talk to the, let's say, Amazons and Netflix of the world, they probably don't need a chief data officer because data's already embedded in their organizations anyway, um, so they don't need to change. Whereas a company that hasn't focused on data in the past and hasn't got that coherence and central drive needs a different leader to enable that uh, as a business. And then, although the title might not change, 
maybe the organizational change. I currently sit in within the IT organization because we're transforming IT at the same time. But the tools that we need to introduce, I need to be sat beside our chief information security officer and our head of architecture so that we're introducing the right tools in the right way to the business. But then in three, four, five years time, when that's uh, embedded, maybe it's right that it's, uh, it moves somewhere else because it's more, um, it's got a different role within the business in terms of what, what the value it's driving, but still having that central focus around how are we going to be data driven then that I think that role has a, has a long life in it in a lot of mm. organizations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Andy, look, it's been a pleasure talking with you, uh, as always, and um, a super insightful episode, as I uh, envisaged it would be. So uh, huge thanks for coming on the show and giving up your time. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing how the rest of your uh, data transformational journey at Bentley unfolds. Thank you very much. Good to talk to you. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.